0: Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8 this morning. I've entitled this message, He is Willing, and that was the reason the worship team sang that particular song this morning. Let's go to our text, where Paul read first earlier, the first four verses of Matthew 8. Now when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leopard came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest. And then offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. As we dive into chapter 8, I'm going to have you turn back just a couple chapters to chapter 5 verse 1, 5, 6, and 7 are the Beatitudes. And we read in verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Uh, We often think that the teaching of the Mount of Beatitudes was to the multitudes, and um, that's not necessarily the case. we find here in the scriptures is it was one-on-one with the disciples. And the multitudes we're going to see come when he comes down from the mountain. Matthew 5, verse 1 is the beginning of the Beatitudes 5, 6, and 7. If you now turn to chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, we read, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So 5, 6, and 7 are the Beatitudes. As we get now into um, chapter 8, the Lord has come down from the mountain. We don't know exactly which one it is. Uh, we have a traditional site that we visit when we go to Israel. But we don't know if that's the place. I have my own particular feelings where it was, but your guess is as good as anybody. It was right around Capernaum. We know that for sure. And um, as we look at this chapter here, in chapter 8, coming down from the mountain, and that's what we read in verse 1, when he had come down from the mountains, then great multitudes followed him. In chapter 6, we're going to see not a chronological order, but a logical order of six different miracles that are going to take place. And it pretty much is going to establish um, the authority that Jesus has in every area of life, whether it be the natural, whether it be the supernatural, or whether it be even nature itself. In the first one here, we have the Lord healing a leper, and the Lord touched him. Um, This is the worst of human diseases during the Lord's period of time. The second miracle will be the healing of the centurion's servant. That was done from a distance, contrary from where he touched the leper, which was unthinkable. And the second miracle, the healing of the centurion, is done from a distance. There's no physical contact at all. The third one is Peter's wife's mother. That means Peter was married, and his mother was sick, and he touched Her. The fourth miracle in um, Matthew 8 is a casting out of demons. Here, the Lord is going to move into the supernatural realm of spirits that we can't see um, yet exist, both the angelic and the demonic. In verse, the fifth miracle is going to be stilling the winds and the sea in the realm of nature. And he will demonstrate his power over natural uh, forces. And then the last one, the last miracle in chapter 6, as he travels from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, he's met by two demon-possessed men in the land of the Gadarenes. And we get a glimpse into the reality of the spiritual war and the authority that the Lord Jesus has over this demonic realm. Jesus moves in all these different areas, and Matthew lists them, again, not necessarily in a chronological order, but a very, um, what's the right word? Um, very logical order as he lays out just the authority that Jesus has, and this is why the multitudes are so great we're going to see that after the Lord heals the leper, that he says, careful now, don't go around telling anybody. Now, he did that for a reason. Um, and we'll, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But let's, let's go to our text and pick it up in verse 1. Just a little background. We've finished Jesus up on some mountain near Capernaum. He's now coming down with the disciples. And now we read in verse 1, when he had come down from the mountain... Great multitudes followed him. His reputation has already been established, and the word is out that if you have a problem, if you're sick, if you have a friend who's demon-possessed, that the one to go to is this Jesus of Nazareth. And so in verse 1, the great multitudes here, and I'll point out, it's a, a very familiar area to us, near Capernaum. It was really the headquarters of um, his ministry. It's at the very, very, like if you lived in um, um, uh, Brighton Beach area on the northern tip of Lake Winnebago. So we can all identify with that, right? Okay, this would have been Capernaum. It's amazing how much like um, the Sea of Galilee is like Lake Winnebago. It's not quite as big. But it's the biggest lake in Israel. And um, I think Lake Winnebago is the biggest inland lake in the United States. It's 30 miles long. Uh, the one Sea of Galilee isn't quite that big. But um, the similarities would be that where that northern tip of Oneida Street runs into Lake Winnebago, that's where Capernaum would be. And this is where Peter was from. This is where um, James and John lived. So it became the headquarters of where Jesus' ministry was when he was in the Galilee. And so the word was out, as we read verse 1. In verse 2, the word had gotten out evidently to some leper. Leper. Not leopard. My wife said, make sure you don't say leopard when you get up there, because I said it earlier. It's a good thing she's around. She said, honey, it's leper. That leopard. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord. So already we know this man with this incurable disease is seeking the Lord out. And he calls him Lord, and he worships him, And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So there's this confidence that this leper has that Jesus could take care of this incurable disease. And during this time, it was a disease that slowly would eat away the flesh of your skin until a point where you were numb and um, you would eventually die. From this, Uh, we'll talk more about the law with this and the conditions made for it. Um, The Lord was at the very top of the mountain. Often we see this through the Bible. We have these mountaintop experiences. Come down from the mountain, and now he's confronted with the the most loathsome of diseases, leprosy. And I need to make the application right here. Leprosy is a type of sin. It's comparable to leprosy because it's not curable by any natural human means. When Adam and Eve sinned, everyone, without exception, is passed down through the blood. It is in your blood. And you were born a sinner. and can prove it. The first words that your baby speaks, that learns how to say when he's... uh, Says those first words, and his first words are always mama and papa, but they are what? No. no. Born a little sinner, right out of the right out of the boom. They come out in, in rebellion and you teach them, you say, No. We well, will do this. No. You teach them not to lie, right? Because they know how to lie automatically. Honey, were you in a cookie jar? No. What's all that? Like? Chocolate chip cookie doing all over your lip. My brother put it there. You know, they'll just lie their way right through it. Did you take money out of Mama's purse? No. Well, then how come it's in your pocket? And these things are a result of the infection of sin. And we teach our children it's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. And you need to be obedient to Mama and Daddy. And that has to be taught because of the nature of sin which is likened to leprosy, there is no cure for it outside the blood of Jesus Christ. Good place for an amen. So we need to make that connection right away. Leprosy was symbolic of sin in the Bible. It is incurable. It was the most loathsome of diseases. And when this leper came to Jesus, he did not ask him, Will you make me clean? Or are you able to make me clean? This leper had faith. And he recognized the lordship of Jesus. And what did the Lord Jesus do? The unthinkable. He went up and touched this man. And the touch of Jesus was one of the most wonderful things that had ever happened to this man. It not only cleansed his leprosy, but it also brought him back into the family of mankind. Could have been married at one time. Probably had kids. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And we find here in verse 3, then Jesus put out his hand and he touched him and he says, yes, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, the leprosy was cleansed. Here, as we look at... um, So many people have such a wrong concept of the Lord we know. And some of us, especially before you come to the Lord, have this preconceived idea. You know, just one more time, the Lord will put up with me and that's it. And I'm done for. But that's not the case at all. When you search the scriptures, and here's a man that's been ostracized from his family, um, slowly dying, a painful death. And he says, Lord, are you willing? And he said, I am willing. And now we have a little glimpse into the character of our Lord. This speaks to the nature of our God. God's thoughts towards you. Do you realize how much he loves you? Jeremiah tells us, for I know that the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, they're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future. And a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I'll I'll listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search with me with all of your heart. I can just imagine this leper. The multitudes are there. I mean, he had to make his way to get close enough somehow. And so I can just see him trying to stay clear of people, but yet make his way to Jesus in the midst of the multitudes. You need the to know that the Lord will never override your free will. He wants you to seek him with all of your heart. And we're told here that if you will, in Jeremiah 9, if you seek him with your whole heart, he's waiting for you. Again, the, the free will is so important. And taking the initiative, but you need to know this morning that he wants you to and that he's good. In Nehemiah 9.17, it says, But you, O God, are ready to pardon. He wants to forgive. You're gracious gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in kindness. And you don't forsake us. The Lord said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Oh, we might play prodigal. We might get sidetracked. But if we do, well, he's right on your trail. And sending people in your way, so that you can come back to your senses, many times, we have not, simply because we don't take the time to pray and ask. Now, it doesn't mean because you ask you're going to necessarily receive. We're to pray not so much for our will be to done, be done, but Lord, what's your will? It was God's will for this man to be cleansed, but he's the one who, who really went and asked the Lord. Now in verse 4, we read, And Jesus said after he was cleansed, Don't tell anybody, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, in Luke's Gospel, 4, verse 24, let's just turn over there quickly, we're going to come right back, and then go back to Leviticus, but go to uh, Luke For we have the same story, but we have added information that I want to draw your attention to. The Lord says, be careful now, don't go tell anybody. But he goes and he spreads it abroad, and he tells everybody that he's clean. And the reason it tells us the Lord told him not to do it was because of the multitudes. And they couldn't get to Jesus because now more and more people were coming um, around to the Lord. Let's go back into the book of Leviticus because the Lord tells him to go now to the priest and show himself. This is one of those Sundays where I wish I had more time to go through this whole chapter. But we'll just read enough so that you can understand that even though there is no cure for leprosy in Jesus' time, nonetheless, we have in Leviticus part of the law that gives instructions on what to do in the day of the cleansing of a leper, and I'll just read a couple verses so that you can see what Jesus is talking about in Matthew eight. Go show yourself to the priest. This is what he would, he was wanting him to do. Uh, chapter fourteen, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "This is the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing." He shall be brought to the priest. Well, it's it, it's incurable, but yet we have provision when for the miraculous to take place. The priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take of him who is clean two living clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. The priest shall command that. One of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over the running water. But as for the living bird, he will take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them in the living bread in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him, who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. The priest has to inspect him. He's the one who declares whether or not it's really been cured or not. And the idea here of the miraculous comes in with the sacrifices now. And this whole chapter is laid out on detail. I mean, even going to the guy's house, and if there's stuff on the walls, how to take it off. And if it's not taken off, then come back a little bit later and plaster over it. I mean, it's very detailed. And so I encourage you um, to read the whole chapter I'm taking you here just now so that you know that in the law, when Jesus said, go to the priest, he was telling him about Leviticus chapter 14. Um, And then the priest would make it known, um, put a stamp, he's out of quarantine, it's okay uh, to be around this man. You see, if you were a leper, you would have to declare it Openly to those who are around. When anyone comes near you, you must cry, Unclean, unclean. Uh, He may have saw his children grow up from a distance. They would leave food in certain places, and he would come and get it after they had withdrawn. He could not touch them. In fact, he had not been able to touch no one, and no one had been able to ever touch him. Then one day... The Lord Jesus comes, and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does the Lord do? People are watching this. He does the unthinkable. He reaches down, and he touches this leopard, and he says, I am willing. And as a result, immediately, of course, the leprosy was cleansed. God is good. God wants to heal. God wants to restore. Yet... In these six miracles, let's go back to Matthew chapter 8. In these six miracles that we have here, we have the goodness of our God who wants to be strong on our behalf, if we'll just seek him with all of our heart. Yet, we also have, in verses 28 to 32, the demonic realm. So there's not only a good God. But there's an adversary who is just the exact opposite, who has the exact opposite nature of our loving God. And uh, let's just pick it up here in verse 28. We'll read it and come back and comment on it. Verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two men possessed, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have you to do, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? And now a good way away from there was a herd of many swine feeding. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go into the herd of swine. Then he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, And immediately the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Power, in this case, as we see not only the goodness of God, but we're introduced to the demonic realm. Um, Jesus speaks of, we read in Revelation 9, that the king of the bottomless pit is Apollyon. And um, as one of his titles, we refer to him as the devil or Lucifer. But he's the one who has the authority and is king over the the demonic realm. I believe most Americans are very naive when it comes to this topic. Um, His nature, let's turn to John chapter 8 and let me point out a couple of verses as Jesus talks directly to the nature of our adversary. He's getting into a verbal debate with the scribes and Pharisees who are boasting that they're descendants of Abraham. They're accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed. And in verse 44, the Lord just lays it out to him. Let me tell you, ahead of time, the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to kill him. So Jesus is identifying the scribes and the Pharisees to their father, who he says is the devil himself. It's in verse 44. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar And the father of lies. Well, what was the first lie? Oh, you don't have to worry about that tree. If you eat of it, you won't die. Just the opposite of what God said. Well, that was a flat-out lie. It was the first lie. And that's why the Lord said here he's the father of all lies. If you flip over to John chapter 10, just one page away, and look at verse 10, He talks about his nature. Instead of building up and restoring, it says the thief or the devil does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The nature of Jesus versus the nature of the devil. The thief does nothing except he wants to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. Remember what he said to Peter? Peter was a spokesman. And he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. That could be you. That could be me. But because of it, it became a target, just like Job. Job was a target because he walked righteously before the Lord. Well, have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous. He says, well, he's righteous because you protect him and bless him. Just take that hedge away from him and let me at him, and I'll show you what he's made out of. And he was tested. And in his testing, losing everything, He did not sin or charge God God falsely, but said, look, naked I came. Naked I'm going to go. Bless the Lord. And in all this, Satan could not get him to curse God. That's what he wanted him to do. Gang, there's situations in life that you're never going to figure out. Why? The whys. Why is this happening? Why did I lose my 10 kids? Why Why did that happen? I don't know. You don't know. But this is where faith comes in, and you have to know that God is good. Good place for an amen. But the enemy is evil. And to be naive, we're told by Paul not to be ignorant of our adversaries' devices. And he's a type that will hit you when you're down the lowest. When did he tempt Jesus? When Jesus was hungry. What did he tempt him with? The ability to turn stones into bread. He knows just how weak you are. He's been studying human thought and uh, mentality for 6,000 years, and he's made in perfect wisdom. And um, even Michael the archangel did not get into a verbal debate with him. He just said, the Lord rebuke you, when they were disputing over the body of Moses. And so, you know, I'm not looking to pick a fight with the enemy. If he comes, we just stand in Jesus' name and say, the Lord rebuke you. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And gang, you need to know that. Because you're the temple of God, there will be spiritual warfare. But because uh, the Lord lives in you, just like the disciples. They were, you know, (laughs) their first missionary journey, they were stunned. They came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. He said, simmer down, simmer down. Yeah, I saw Satan. All from heaven. I was there when it happened. He says, but don't rejoice over that. Yes, it's true you do. But you're going to heaven. And your name is written in heaven. Now that's something to rejoice about. Not good place for an amen. So the truth is, um, you know, the devil, and I'm not mocking right now, I'm stating a fact. To a Christian, he's a dog without teeth. He's a bumblebee without a stinger. He has no authority over you but you're to have authority over him. And even uh, in times when you maybe are not quite unaware that you're involved in spiritual warfare. Here, this man was possessed. The other nature, you don't have to turn to Revelation 12 concerning our adversary, who's called the accuser. Revelation 12 says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength And the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accuse them, the believers, before God night and day has been cast down. That blows my mind. Where is Satan right now? Accusing believers before God day and night. And there's going to be times he's going to be sitting on your shoulder. You call yourself, just look at yourself. And look at the sin that's in your life. And and he will be hammering that down on one side into the father's ear and on the other side at the right hand of God saying, Father, that one's mine. That's all been covered. He's confessed that sin. I've washed it. And he's free. And Father, he needs to be declared innocent of all accusations. The accuser of the brethren So that great dragon of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world was cast to the earth and his angels with him. I want to get a little sidetrack here with faith. And let's go use two examples um, of this this morning again in Matthew Matthew chapter 8. So let's go back there. In order to exercise what we just talked about here, what the leper had was faith. We find that in in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, we're introduced to this centurion. Now when he had entered Capernaum, so this is why I believe that the centurion um, and the leper were probably healed in the vicinity of Capernaum. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. And he said, Lord, my servant is lying home. He's paralyzed and he's dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, well, I will come and I will heal him. Again, the Lord is willing, but the centurion is asking. And the centurion said, look, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But all you have to do is speak a word And I know my servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servants, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, no, not even in Israel. I'm going to contrast This great faith, in the same chapter we'll look at a story and he reproves his disciples for having little faith. But here he's declaring to this centurion, a Roman, that um, he has great faith. He understands authority. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And notice, and as you have believed, so let it be done unto you. It was this man's great faith. He was a centurion, had heard about the leper's healing probably. The centurion was a Gentile, a captain of uh, 60 centurions, a company of about 100 men in the Roman Legion. And Luke's record tells us that he had built a synagogue for the Jews. And when I read that, it blew my mind. This is Jesus' time, and he had built a synagogue in Capernaum for the Jewish people. Now, when we go to Israel and we go to Capernaum, that very foundation of that temple is there to this day. And it's one of the places that you can say, absolutely, 100%. This is an A site where you're standing underneath these stones. Jesus stood one day teaching in this synagogue. Well, who built it? We find out in Luke's Gospel, Luke's account, when you read Luke's account, And that's why it's important to have Matthew, Mark, and Luke to get a complete picture of these things. It's not mentioned here that he built the synagogue. Eric was telling me, where's Eric? There he is, sitting over there in the corner. Didn't you give your testimony there, bro? Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the highlights of his life, being able to say, I stood in this (laughs) this synagogue right where I know for sure 2,000 years earlier Jesus was in this same, very same spot. Well, they rebuilt another one over it. The bottom layer is the, um, um, I believe it's all the black foundation, and then another synagogue was built over it, and that was destroyed over the years, but the foundation to that is still there to this day. The centurion was in a position of great authority, wore a Roman uniform, could say to soldiers under him, do this and do that. Why? Because of power. Anybody in the military understands the importance of obeying orders? And this centurion did. And he says, I know you have authority over this disease because of what I just saw with the leper. Nobody can do that. And now I have my servant who's in need of that, and I know you can do it because you have authority over it. And the Lord says, okay, go. According to your faith, let it be so. And we read, and the servant was healed that same hour. And so we find in contrast to that, here's great faith from a Gentile Roman soldier, and yet when we just go over to um, verses 23, the um, disciples, it says, "When, when he had gotten in the boat, his disciples followed him. So I need to, again, point out that Luke gives us a little bit more information, and I'll throw it in now. Um, In Luke 8.22 it says it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side, and they lodged out. We don't have that in Matthew. We have it in Luke 8.22. But let's put it in here, because that's gives us a complete picture of this this setting. And suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. And Luke, it tells us, underneath the stern. He was taking a nap. And when the disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he gets up, probably yawning, not stressed out, one one bit, he knows where he's going and he knows what's going to happen. And he says, where's your faith? Well, you have little faith. The centurion had great faith. Jesus, well, let's just read the rest of it. That he arose and he rebuked the wind and the sea and it was a great calm and the men marveled saying, well, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? And here, um, they are reproved. And he says, you have little faith. But in the same chapter, he tells the Roman that he has great faith. And so we find the contrast between the storm. Let's go back to the beginning where he says, guys, get in the boat. We're going to start here and we're going over there. Now I have a question for you this morning. Is there any force in this universe, any storm or anything that could have stopped that boat from going from point A to point B? Answer, absolutely not. God had spoken. Jesus is in the boat with them. Is he stressed? No, he's taking a nap. The disciples are stressed, and these are seasoned fishermen on that sea all the time. I rented a boat one time on the Sea of Galilee, just to have fun. And I actually got caught up by one of those downdrafts that come down right next to our bell. And just like that, everything was changed. And I was scared. And I was hightailing it back to shore. And um, and that's quite an experience to have a um, literal happening of that storm coming up suddenly. But my point is, because Jesus... Chides him. He says you're in the boat with me And there's no way that you can't go to the other side And he actually sort of reproves them How much time do I have to tell a story? I got enough time there's, Everybody here has heard it at least once But there's always new people, right? It gives me an excuse for um, Telling my, some of my favorite stories So a little sidetrack just Keep awake here Even the winds in the sea obey him Okay, personal story. Calvary Chapel of Appleton. Um, in the 70s, when I got saved, the Lord called me into uh, the ministry. And we had, a, we had a system set up where we would work communally in houses. My first house that I stayed in was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We, had, we worked group labor. Uh, we were janitors at the Minneapolis International Airport mid-70s, somewhere around in there. And um, the idea was, we worked, so while we were working, we could pay for other people to go to our Bible college, which is outside of Eugene, Oregon, a place called Dexter. Absolutely beautiful uh, place. But then other people, when it got to be our turn, then other people would work, so then eventually it would be our turn, so that we could go out to Bible school. Well, um, I wasn't used to communal living, to be honest with you. And um, I didn't like uh, working a night shift, being a janitor, to be honest with you. And one night I said I quit. I quit. I was had my mop. And I can't walk in any airport without seeing the janitorial guys there and want to bless them. Because <laughs> I've been there and done that. And uh, I remember stopping, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want to do them up floors, I don't want to clean toilets, I don't want to do it. I quit. But where I quit, there was a poster. In those days, you remember when Billy Graham would say, the only mailing address you need is Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all you needed, right? Well, I stopped by one of his posters. It was a poster of the Sea of Galilee. It had one scripture on it. It said, even the winds and the sea obey him and I'm not nature will but Dwight you won't busted (laughs) convicted and I knew looking at that I knew it wasn't a coincidence so I went on and I went on to Bible school and now I want to fast forward 25 years in 1979 we started leading trips to Israel and We'd always stop the boat <laughs> on the Sea of Galilee. And this is 25 years later after this event when I almost gave up. And so I thought, I'm going I'm to tell my story today. And I'm going to tell me that I wouldn't be here, and neither would any of you, if I didn't have this experience back in the mid-70s. Now at that time, and I'm still good friends with uh, Joyce, who is with, Inspired Travel, that was a travel agency we were with. And it was her job to make sure we were happy. And so she spent one day with us, and it was on the Sea of Galilee. And she says, you like your guide? Yep. How's the hotel? Good. "Good." Food? Okay. She's just making sure that we're happy campers. But I decided that during the Bible study, I would tell the story of me working at the Minneapolis International Airport. And so I did. And Joyce is just taking this thing in like you wouldn't believe. And I told the story, and I said, here we are 25 years later. Boy, am I glad I didn't quit because now I'm in Israel and actually being able to teach this Bible study from the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And that wouldn't have happened if, um, if I didn't obey the Lord and continue on. Just a little side note here. If you're thinking about giving up, don't give up. Good place for an amen. Don't. Because when you think you don't know what lies ahead, the Lord has good plans for you if you continue with him. All right, the end of the story. Joyce comes up to me after the study, and she's got this shocked look on her face, and and I said, what? And she says, Dwight, I knew... We've been friends for a long time, but um, I knew I recognized your name from somewhere else, but I need to tell you that I was your boss at the Minneapolis International Airport in 1976. It took her two years to tell me the rest of the story. She was in a backslidden state when I gave that Bible study. I get choked up telling it. Because I knew that the Lord had worked 25 years. God is outside time and space. And he, he looks back, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years to the Lord. That 25 years was nothing, but he was planning it all that time. That at that moment, you know, that she's still in ministry today, still works doing the same thing. And um, I get this chance to tell that story every time we're on the Sea of Galilee. Well, if I also, there probably there could be a Calvary Chapel in Appleton today, but I wouldn't be your pastor. I'm here because of that poster. So when I read, even the winds and the sea obey him, well, that means we need to obey him too. Amen. Even when you want to give up, you know, the Lord will put that little thing out there, that little divine appointment. And, um, Uh, All I can say is praise the Lord because I love going to Israel. We already got enough signed up to go this year. And uh, if the Lord doesn't take us home first, which is my first preference, (laughs) then we'll be back on the Sea of Galilee and I'll get to tell that story one more time. So I didn't know if I'd have enough time to tell that story, but I'm glad I did. So, all right, let me get back to my notes here. Let's go back to, um, all right. That's what happened when you tell stories. You get sidetracked. <laughs> so in chapter eight, as we consider this chapter, we find that the centurion, a, a Gentile, had faith is the issue. He had great faith. The disciples were corrected for their little faith because of who was in the boat with them. And, you know, Gang, the Lord has promised never to leave you or forsake you. You know, you're going to go through the storms. um, But as he told the parable of the man who built his house on a solid rock, is a man who hears the word of God, but he does it. He doesn't just hear it, but he does it. Then when the storms come up, he says, The house stood because it was built upon the foundation of the word of God. He says, A foolish man will hear the words but one apply them practically to their life, and he's like a man who builds them on sand. Oh, the same storms will come. That being said, don't think you're exempt from very difficult trials and temptations. Matter of fact, along with the faith will come the test to, to test your faith, to see if you really believe. Not that God doesn't know. He knows exactly where you're at. The problem is we don't know where we're at. So how do we find out? God allows storms into our life, and we'll find out just how much faith we we actually really have. So, in chapter eight, we find a man of great faith. In chapter eight, we find the disciples with little faith, like um, the father of the son possessed by a demon. In Mark chapter nine, he had faith, but said, "If you want to turn, you can." Or I can just quote it: Matthew nine. We have faith here this morning. Um, he comes to Jesus and he asks him, he says, he's possessed with a demon. And he goes to the Lord, he says, how long ago since this came on to him? And he said, of the child. And the man said, the father said, well, oftentimes he casts him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you're willing, you can do anything. Have compassion on us and please help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So he's talking about faith now, and here's what one of the most honest scriptures in the Bible. Straightway, the father of the child cried out with tears, he said, "Lord, Lord, I do believe, but Lord, will you help my unbelief? Can you identify with that? Well, I sure can. Of course, I believe, and yet there's times that I know I need. To have more faith. Which leads us to. um, Wrapping this up this morning. One final thought. The Lord only. Not only wants. To exercise our faith. Because it will be exercised. First First Peter. Chapter one. um, Matter of fact. Let's go to first, first Peter chapter one. The exercising of our faith. And Why. These trials come. And you need to know that they will come, so that when they do come, you're not surprised by them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and verse 6, it says, uh, In this you greatly rejoice, because of our salvation, through our faith. We rejoice greatly, even though for a while, if need be, you have been grieved. By various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Did you ever hear somebody said, I'm going through a fiery trial? I'm going through a burner right now? This is where it comes from. But you need to know that's not the abnormal, it's normal for the Christian. Why? To test you. What are you going to do? Going to trust in the Lord? Going to give up? It's tested by fire baby found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, he wasn't perfect. She wasn't perfect. They went through a lot. But through it all, they never gave up the faith. They always still looked to you, even though they didn't quite understand everything that was going on. So the Lord wants us to exercise our faith like the centurion like the leper in Matthew chapter 8 if i can only get to jesus it'll be okay but also to be thankful for the healing that when he does test our faith how to help make our faith grow you know we come to the lord we're told we're you know we're fed on the milk of the word and then we grow a little bit and now we get into deeper issues and deeper subjects and then we call the meat of the word and the only thing that in these days and times that is going to keep you from stumbling when the attacks come is that you know this book and you know this book so well that your faith will never be destroyed and that's exactly what Romans 10:17 says so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that's the only way faith can grow. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. I'd like to close this morning when, with this verse saying that um, the faith that we have and the grace that has been given to us is a free gift. And in closing, I'd like to teach from the scriptures. How are we to respond to this free gift? And the answer to that lies with another story containing lepers, and it's in Luke chapter 18. So let's go back to Luke 18. This will be our final scripture this morning. And some of you are thinking, yeah, right. (laughs) It is our final scripture this morning. Luke chapter 18. Seventeen, I think. Seventeen, picking up from verse eleven, it says, "Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and then he entered a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. Again, remember, they had to declare their leprosy unclean, unclean, and they lifted up their voices." And said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priests, just like in Matthew, the leper. And so as they went, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God, and he fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks And he was a Samaritan. It's interesting that to the Jewish people, they despise the Romans. Jesus holds the Romans up. Every time you read about a centurion, it's always in a positive setting. Every time you read about Jesus talking about a Samaritan, it's always in a positive setting. When the religious hierarchy puts them in the negative. And here, the Lord goes out of his way. The guy who came back who was healed happened to be a Samaritan. And we read he had come back and Jesus said, Were there not ten that were cleansed? Where are the other guys? Where's the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go your way, because your faith has made you well. Dwight, what's your point? Well, He tells this guy to arise and give thanks because you've been cleansed. Leprosy is a type of sin. Only one cure for it. Nothing can cure the problem of sin. It separates you from God. But Jesus Christ came and took away our sins and gave us his righteousness. Question, how do you feel about that? What do you think you should do about that? Well, my Bible says when you know the truth, it'll set you free. And um, it should cause the soul to be one of my favorite pictures I have up in my office is a gal getting baptized during the Jesus days. And she'd just come out of the water. And it's like this. (laughs) Free and grateful. And just giving thanks to Jesus. That's what this guy did, but the Lord was expecting the other nine to do it. Which camp do you want to be in? When we understand the goodness of our God, he wants to heal you, he wants to do good for you, but in return, he wants you to offer the sacrifice of praise. That's the only thing I can do. That's all he wants from me. When it gets into feeling obligated to do something, look, if Jesus lives in you, that's going to come out naturally. When the time calls for it It'll be a natural instinct I was coming to the office yesterday And I saw this guy Mid-60s or so And he was all over the place I mean, literally, his pants were almost coming down And I just thought, you know, he's in a drunken stupor And I felt sorry for him, so I turned around And I pulled up to him And I rolled down my window I said, hey, you want to ride? And he looked at me And, um He had some sort of physical problem, but he looked me squirted in the eye and says, no, I'm fine, I'm almost home, but thank you anyway. And um, uh, the whole idea here is when you see a guy that you think he's not going to even make it home, well, I'm driving down the road thinking of the good Samaritan. I need to turn around. I don't want to be a Pharisee. (laughs) I don't want to be a Levite. I want to be a Samaritan. I want to be the guy he says, if you love your neighbor, then that's where the whole story of the Good Samaritan comes from. I don't worry about um, things the Lord had me to do. I just want the Lord to know that I'm available. And if he wants to pull me out of his tool chest anytime he wants to, Lord, here am I. And that should be our attitude of gratitude. Because there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's like we read earlier, it's a free gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift. When somebody gives you a gift, we at least say thank you, don't we? Well, that's where we're to be. The last thing it says in this verse to him Arise and go your way, your faith has made you whole. That's what I say right now. Let's arise. <laughs> and stand, and we'll let you go. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning as we continue to study through this amazing chapter, Matthew chapter 8. Lord, be your Holy Spirit. Put in our heart those things you want us to retain. And we thank you, Lord. We want to be that one who returns. Sin is like leprosy. You're the only one who can cure it. And we want to return and say thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, for all that you continue to do. And, Lord, um, we just want to be available uh, for whatever you might have us to do at any given time. We present ourselves to you a living sacrifice this day. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.